good morning. My name is Randy Wasink. Thank you for joining us online, and we appreciate the time you've taken to spend time with us this weekend. There are so many things in life that can morph and change from something beautiful to something painful. And our response to that is often filled with tension and confusion. And eventually, if it continues, trust is lost to something called bad blood. And that leads to anger. And when we look at this same day, a couple of thousand years ago, we would see a week of tremendous change. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and he was being cheered by crowds. He's being called the Savior. You're the one to deliver us. You're going to take the Roman oppression away. And they were waving palm branches, and they were singing songs of hope. Today, we call that Palm Sunday. And yet, just days later, things would begin to morph into the unexpected. And the crowds in anger would be yelling, crucify him! Well, today we're going to talk about this anger thing. Is anger always bad? Can anger ever be useful? Can it push us to places where we maybe we need to go? Or how did Jesus view anger, and can we learn and implement something from his view of it? Well, welcome to Keystone on this Palm Sunday. We are so looking forward to today, and this week looking to Good Friday and to Easter. We'll continue to adapt our services to fit the times that we're finding ourselves in. So right now, we just invite you in your own space, in your own living room, to just sit back and enjoy. The band's put together some awesome music. Turn the volume where you like, and let's sing together with them.
these past weeks are just unlike anything. I know you can relate to that. We all feel that. I found myself just grasping, grasping for something normal. What is normal? Anything. We've just been singing about really God's faithfulness to be in things with us. I was reminded both at a sunrise this week and a sunset, he always is, always has been, and always will be. And that's where I went. That's where I've gone this week, trusting, trusting in that he always is, he's always going to be. So if we need that reminding this morning, please just stop if you need to and let the words just sink in. But if you can, continue to sing on with us.
I really like the song that Paul and the band just finished. It reminds me so much of Psalm 91, the opening two verses. This is what the psalmist has to say. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. Because we trust Him, let's go to Him in prayer, please. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are a mountain where we can run for safety. You are the shadow under which we can hide. As the virus edges ever nearer and increasingly impacts our Keystone friends and their families, we would boldly ask for your protection, that you would keep us healthy and well. As we trust you in these uncertain days, may we find you to be our place of safety. We continue to pray for safety for our medical workers and our first responders. Protect them, we pray. Keep them safe as they labor in difficult settings for our good. Today, Father, we would pray for those who are critically ill and dying with this disease. Many are alone, separated from family and loved ones, and we would ask that into their loneliness and fear, you would bring peace and comfort. For those who long to be with their loved ones, some separated by miles and others separated by a pane of glass, we ask that you would strengthen them to endure uncertainty and grant them courage and hope. And we pray for those who grieve the death of a loved one. Grant these families peace and comfort in their sorrow. Loving God, it is hard to be confined as we are. We pray for spouses who are struggling, who find this confinement an additional stress to an already stressed relationship. Help them to be more patient, more gracious, and more caring. We pray for parents who have suddenly found themselves home with children all day, every day, and not just home, but also responsible to oversee their schooling. Help them to be more patient, more creative, and more forgiving. We pray for children and young people whose routines have been disrupted and who now find themselves cut off from friends and restricted in their movements. Help them to be patient with parents who are working hard to make this situation work for everyone. Help them to find joy in this situation, to find new reasons to laugh and sing and dance, to discover that life is full, even when difficult. God, today we choose faith over fear, hope over dread, and trust over despair. You are our strength, our shelter. You are our song. Thank you for your unfailing love. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Bob. You know, while we're all apart, it's really important that we take some time to come together now and then. And many of our groups are doing that through a tool called Zoom. And they're reconnecting after a couple of weeks of being apart. And this could be a great opportunity for you to consider joining a group, too. It's a great way to meet some new people, and if you don't like how the group is going, you can always go down to the bottom right part of the page and click on the little button that says, Leave Meeting, and then you just are done with it. That was a nice try. Uh, but you can also connect with Keystone in many other places. Anthem is, has their Instagram page where they're doing the, their group things on Sunday night and on Wednesday evenings. Uh, Keystone Kids is on our Facebook page with some of their lessons and curriculums that you can do. Uh, and there's so many other places to be connecting with Keystone Online. So if you don't know where to join or where to find that or you want to connect up in a group, send Eric an email, eric at keystonecc.org. Speaking of Eric, Eric and Ryan have started a weekly podcast that you'll want to check out. You can search for Keystone Connect on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you'll be glad you did. They're a lot of fun and a little weird. But hey, we've got a lot of things happening in our community right now and in our world. And we asked Michelle to give us an update on how our Extend teams are getting involved as Keystone continues to extend God's love into our community and into our world. Michelle? Hey friends, Michelle coming to you from my home office, otherwise known as the kitchen counter. I want to give you an update on our local and global extend initiatives. Since we're not uh, meeting together on Sunday mornings and everything is online, we wanted to keep you in touch that ministry is still happening 
the the funds that you have graciously given us uh, for those ministry areas are being put to good use in this very difficult time. Uh, Local Extend, uh, we are supporting um, the other way um, food pantry and uh, kids food basket. We have wonderful volunteers. Thank you to all of you who have delivered food and have uh, donated funds for us to uh, bring down there because so many of the families really count on the two meals a day that the kids got at school. So that has been a huge help. We have put some funds towards uh, those different initiatives as well. And uh, the other day I delivered 80 pounds of ground beef that one of our Keystone families donated to the pantry. And that was amazing. So that was such awesome news. And then on the global extend side of things, uh, they have been hit with the same restrictions as we have. So uh, down in the Dominican Republic, um, in our, the little village of El Cacique, our extended family down there, uh, they are without school, church, and the feeding program. Uh, that feeding program is essential to the health of those children. They do not have the resources we have. So uh, with the gifts you've given us and some uh, awesome donors who have stepped up, we have been able to fund three weeks of food. Uh, they can't have the nutrition program, but Sylvia, Dr. Sylvia, and uh, her kids and husband and some volunteers are working together. They're buying groceries for three weeks of food for 200 families. It will be bagged and uh, hand-given to them uh, one at a time at the entrance of the school. We were able to fund that. Uh, so three weeks is awesome news. We can't believe we were actually able to do that. Um, so thanks to all of you that donated towards that. And we anticipate that need and the needs on the west side of Grand Rapids to continue past those three weeks. So if you're thinking about some way to help, donate food. I will deliver every Thursday down to the other way if you want to drop it off right outside of front doors. Um, I'm there to check to see what's there to pick it up and uh, also donating financially we will use any funds that you donate to those initiatives wisely and we appreciate you praying for all of you and please pray for our local and global extend teams thank you Michelle and teams thank you so much for getting involved in extending God's love into our community and into our world we really appreciate it we also appreciate how your continued giving will help us fund our partners and help our Keystone friends who are finding themselves in a time of need right now. So as we buckle in and get ready for the rest of the service, you got about one minute to fill your cup of coffee while the video plays before Ryan takes the stage. Thanks. Good morning and welcome to Keystone. I'm so glad that you guys tuned in with us this morning. My name is Ryan. I normally work with our students and our young adults, but every once in a while I get a privilege to teach on the big stage, which is happening today. And I am so, so excited about it. And honestly, for me, it is a little weird teaching to a camera and knowing that my body's being projected through ones and zeros to you guys in your living rooms or even to those who are listening to our podcast um, after the fact. But I'm just so excited 
excited to be on the stage and to be with you guys. So we're excited that you tuned in this morning because we're going to be tuning into a story which I'm really, really excited for. Because even though the seats are empty here, I know you guys are listening at home and we're all experiencing this weird reality right now. Like we're all experiencing a flip in our life, a change, and we're all trying to navigate what that looks like as we move forward into uncertainty. But I think our story today, which I'm so excited about, is going to drive us towards hope. Because I think our story today is going to reveal something, whether like no matter where you're at on the spectrum of faith, whether you're just rediscovering this thing, whether you've been in it for a while, that this story today will actually show you something about God that we all want to be true. Because our story today is going to be setting up the scene for next week, which is Easter. It's setting up the scene for the arrest, trial, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And if I spoiled Easter for you, I hope you've experienced an Easter service before, but you should still tune in next week. And even this Friday, we're going to be doing a Good, uh, a good Friday service here at Keystone, live and streaming it. So if you guys want to tune in for that, it's going to be great. We're actually going to be doing our own communion. So we will want bread and juice of some sort, but put that on the calendar because we are gearing up for an incredible weekend. It's going to look different, but it's still going to be incredible. And our story today is actually going to set up next week. But I don't want to miss the implications of what our story is today, because we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. So if you guys are at home, which you all are, and you have a Bible, go run, crack it open, dust it off, and open it up to Matthew 21, because we're going to be just directly walking through the story this morning, because we are entering into a point when the rising action of Jesus' ministry is happening and the big climax, the big finale of Easter is going to hit. But what happens a week before Easter is incredible. And it tells us something about Jesus that honestly like transforms my perspective. So let's talk about the book of Matthew. So most scholars believe Matthew the tax collector was the one to write this book. And Matthew walked, lived, breathed, and watched Jesus do his ministry which is so incredible. And Matthew is a talented writer. He's brilliant and he organizes his story and his account of Jesus to showcase some very specific things. The first and foremost is that Jesus, who lived and walked, is the Messiah, the Savior, not only for the Jewish people, but for the world. And that he was the liberator that was coming from the line of David. Now, who is David, you might ask. Some of you guys have heard of King David or at least David and Goliath. David's like the hero of the Jewish, like Israelite, like religion. He's like one of the top guys. So for Jesus to come from the line of David is so important to the story that we're exploring today. So let's step into this story and see what's happening. Because we're right on what is basically like a road trip for Jesus, right? We're finishing up this road trip, and you guys might remember road trips. We were able to have them like a month ago, maybe not in the future, but we at least know what they are like. And Jesus was doing his ministry, healing and teaching and causing, honestly, a huge ruckus in the Middle East. Because he was announcing that the kingdom of God was near, that it was at hand. But it seems, as he was teaching and preaching and healing, this kingdom was an upside-down kingdom. And if you guys look up something called the Sermon in the Mount in the Bible, you'll see how upside down it was. Because this kingdom wasn't for the strong, but the meek. It wasn't about the first, but the last. It wasn't about the rulers, but the servants. And he's flipping the whole script. And here's the thing. If Jesus, as he was walking and teaching, if Jesus really is the Messiah, is he going to be the conquering king that the Jewish people wanted because the Jewish people were under the oppression of the Roman government and they were hoping for somebody to come in to establish the kingdom of God that would rule forever and conquer people and show that might is right. But in the story so far, not only is this kingdom of God upside down, but also so is Jesus. He's an upside down king. He's a servant king. And it's incredible because Jesus isn't like what people expected. And honestly, we have a lot of expectations for Jesus too, 
right? We approach Jesus and God and faith with a lot of expectations of what it is, and we try to, to fit God into our expectations, and it doesn't work all the time. I mean, in all of this craziness, I've been, I've been thinking about something for me, and it's the idea that I need to follow Jesus because Jesus doesn't necessarily follow me. And like, I, I like to think that like Jesus is going to do all the things that I need and he's going to help me out, especially if I'm doing everything right. But I'm the one that has to follow Jesus and he's going to be with me through everything. But I want him, I want him to dictate my life, not the other way around. Because as Brady said last week in our Set Apart series, he said that Jesus sometimes is going to lead us into deserts. He's going to lead us into hard places. But in those hard places, we are going to grow and we're going to experience hope and purpose when we put it in the right places. So as we approach Easter this week, no matter where you're coming out on the faith spectrum, whether you're tuning in to Keystone for the first time, which we're so excited about, or you're a Keystone friend and have been part of this for a while, I want us to, to rethink and refresh our perspective and expectations of who Jesus is. Because in our story today, we're going to see a Jesus that is totally incredible. That is going to flip the script on what a lot of us know. So let's talk about this road trip because the road trip is coming to an end and Jesus is heading into Jerusalem during a critical time of the year. And I brought a picture of Jerusalem. I love some visuals. So this is what the city looks like. So th this is like Jerusalem during Jesus's time. And you can see on the far right side to the east, the temple, the temple of God. And this city would have been packed with people. So here's kind of like a bird's eye view of the temple and of the buildings and of people coming in. Now, scholars believe during this time, about 50,000 people lived in Jerusalem. And when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, something incredible is happening. It's called the Passover Festival. Now, this is what's crazy, is during Passover, Jewish pilgrims would have come to Jerusalem, and there's an estimate that 150,000 to 200,000 people would have flooded into the city. So you have a city built for 50,000 that's hosting 200 to 300,000 people. You can imagine, like, the energy that's boiling in the city. People are camping outside. It's intense. There's energy. There's a lot happening. There's yelling. There's screaming. There's th like, this city is pack out. And Jesus knows this because Jesus is brilliant and Jesus is well calculated and he knows exactly what he's doing here because he's approaching it during this critical time. So let's dive into the text. We're in Matthew 21 verse 1. It says this, as they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the, mountain, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. And again, this is, this is Jesus being like calculated because he's planned ahead for this. Check out what he says. Next, Un untie them and bring them to me. So just like walk up and take them. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So maybe these people were just inspired when they said this to them to give their donkey and cult away, right? But I think there's this kind of like secret handshake thing that Jesus has sent a messenger ahead because him riding in on the donkey is very purposeful at this time. Because Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem in a very specific way. Let's look at Matthew 21, 4. So can you throw up that next slide? This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So the whole riding in on a donkey. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now I love this part right here because I think, I think this verse here has made us misunderstand a little bit of what's happening in this moment as Jesus enters into the gates of Jerusalem. Now they're heading over. Can you throw that picture up of Jerusalem? They're heading in from the Mount of Olives, which is over here on the east side of the city. So they're riding directly at the temple and there is a ton of people at this time. And we get this word that he comes in gentle and riding on a donkey. Because what Jesus actually is doing here is powerful and it's epic. And it's honestly, I think, far from gentle. Because do you want to know who in the Old Testament rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? King David did. Want to know who else rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? King David's son, King Solomon. 
Kings ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's riding in as a king. And this message would not have been lost to the people witnessing this. But there's a problem with this because Jerusalem, the city itself, already has its own governmental systems. There's Israelite religious leaders. There's already like uh, the Roman government involved. So when Jesus rides in as a king, he's coming to tension not only with the religious governmental authority, but also with the Roman government. Because Rome was the, the strongest world power at the time. And who was at the head of Rome? The emperor Caesar. And I want us to think about this because Caesar was believed to be the king of the world. He was meant to be divine and the son of God. And Jesus is rolling in as the king of the world and the son of God. What Jesus does in this moment is powerful, radical, political, and completely disruptive. Now again, I challenge you guys, as you're sitting where you're at, I want Jesus to disrupt us today. And what he's going to show us should disrupt us in our expectations of how Jesus should act. Because Jesus, what he's about to do in our story as we explore is something that's completely different than what we normally hear. So let's see how Jesus arrives then. This is what Matthew says next. A very large crowd, of course there's a very large crowd, it's Passover, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. This is where we get Palm Sunday from. And spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him uh, and those that followed shouted, and let's flip to that next one, Hosanna to the Son of David. They get what's going on. They're saying, adore, bless the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's a large crowd. There's energy. There's excitement. And can you throw that last slide up for me? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Now, I want to pause because I looked up this word stirred. And the original meaning of this is also used to apply to earthquakes during the time. So, like, think about that. The, the, the whole city was stirred. It was shook. It was quaking. And people were asking, who is this? And this question here isn't a question just for the people in Jerusalem, but it's a a question I need to ask and you need to ask at home is, who, who is this? Who is Jesus to me? Who is he really? Because this is how they answered at the time. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. How would you answer the question, who is Jesus? So I want to take a break from our story real quick, and I want to talk about one of the most intense, infamous street artists of all time. And I want to talk about this street artist and how he's related, actually, to Old Testament prophets. So what I want to do first is I just want to show you some of this artist's artwork. And you may have seen it before. You may know it. But I just want you to feel it. So here's, I'm not even going to explain these because I just want you guys to see these. So here's the first image here. And I just want you to to feel what's going on, to feel the art, if you will, and to see this picture. Because I don't want to explain this to you. I think the best art speaks for itself. And here's the second picture that I have, too. And this one might have some more familiar symbolism to it. And then lastly, and we're going to hang on this picture, is this painting right here. And I love this painting right here. Because though this painting and Jesus are thousands of years apart, this painting is two miles from where Jesus would have rode into the city. Because what I'm talking about is this painting is on the West Banks, the walls of the West Banks that split Jerusalem from Palestine. And what's incredible about this is that this is illegal. To paint on the walls of the West Bank Bank is illegal. And you can get in serious trouble for that. And further, not only is there paint, but there is a very poignant picture placed there. You can feel the energy. You can feel what's going on here. Now again, some of you guys may know these pieces of work because they're done by an artist known as Banksy. 
Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you may love him. Some of you may hate him. People love to hate him, hate to love him. But the thing is, he's a provocateur. He does pieces like this all around the world. He's honestly quite incredible. He does commentaries on politics. He does commentaries on religion. He does commentaries on power structures. It's all of these different things because he's trying to speak a message and wake people up to something. They're calculated public stunts that shock people. And that's exactly what Old Testament prophets did too. Let's take, for example, Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most important prophets out there. And in chapter 20, so he's a prophet of God. God tells him to walk around Jerusalem butt naked for a year for a year long, right? That's in the Bible. How great is that? For a year long, he's supposed to walk around Jerusalem to warn them of what's coming and to wake them up to get back on track. I was going to bring a picture, but I didn't think that kind of material was good for the kids at home. Um, but I do have a picture. This is another prophet, Ezekiel. And what he's doing here is in Ezekiel, God tells him to shave his hair with a sword, and then to go to basically the center of town, throw his hair in the air, slice it up with a sword to warn people to wake up for a threat is coming, coming to them. These are calculated public stunts that are symbolic, prolific, powerful, and disruptive. And what Jesus is about to do in our story, we're bringing it back in, is exactly the same. He's pulling it from the Old Testament prophets. He's just like Banksy today. He's about to do something incredible. He's about to do something powerful with a charged message to it. So Jesus enters the city and he heads to the center of it all, the temple of God. Matthew continues on in verse 12. And he says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he says this all the time. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So imagine this. Jesus enters the temple and another gospel tells us that he actually made a whip during this time. And he's throwing tables and benches and there's people crying out and he's driving people out. He's staging a riot and this is a big scene in the story because the rising action is continuing. The tension is continuing because Jesus is angry. Jesus is intense and he's sending a clear message because this was what was going on in the temple of God. Under the chief priest at the time, money changers, and we'll talk about those, were moved from outside the temple into the temple courts. And this move would have lined the religious leaders' pockets with money. Because here's the thing, Jews, and especially during Passover, would come to Jerusalem and come to the temple to make sacrifices, as was part of their religion, to God. But to make sacrifices, they had to purchase animals. And to purchase animals, they needed money. But what happened in the temple is they created a specific currency that you would have to buy the currency and then use that currency to buy an animal. And then you could sacrifice and actually be part of your religion. And these prices and these exchanges were taking advantage of people. They were hiking up the prices for people to experience a relationship with God of course Jesus is angry. And there's actually a specific detail that happens there. Is it tells us that he flipped the benches of those selling doves. And Matthew doesn't want us to miss this because doves were the offering that the poorest person could buy. It was the cheapest animal to make for a sacrifice. And the money changers were even exploiting those people. Were exploiting the poor right at, and get this, this is in the temple. It's at the doorstep of the Holy of Holies. It's at the doorstep of where God is. Think about that. The poor being oppressed in God's temple. And the Jewish leaders were responsible. Don't miss this. The series is called Set Apart. The Jewish leaders during this time were supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be light in the world. They were supposed to be the ones helping the oppressor, but instead they were the ones oppressing the poor. They had a compromised 
identity. And Jesus rolls in and says that the kingdom of God was at hand. And I don't want us to miss this. I think this is super important to the story. What Jesus quotes here, the, the don't make my like house of prayer a den of robbers, is from the prophet Jeremiah. And I want to read you guys some of it. I don't have slides for it, so just listen in and feel out what Jeremiah is saying. Because all of those religious people right there, all of those religious people would know exactly what Jesus was quoting. So hear this. This is Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. If you want to check it out later, it goes like this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this message. So this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust deceptive words and say, and this is key, this is the temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, because they stake their identity on the temple of the Lord rather than being the people that the Lord wanted them to be. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods, then I will let you live in this place. Jesus is sending a message because these leaders had to compromise their identity. So hundreds of years ago, and this is why the Bible is so incredible to me. Hundreds of years ago, what a prophet says applies directly when Jesus speaks it. Of course, he's angry. And this is a different Jesus that we normally experience. There's deep human emotion. Let's see what happens next in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now check out how messed up this is. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. This is messed up. They were seeing wonderful things done. People being healed. Hope being projected into the world. And they were indignant. This showcases how lost they were. And they have this conversation with Jesus. They ask him this. Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, which again kind of throws it in their face because they spent their lives reading the text. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. This is the upside down kingdom that Jesus was bringing. Because here's the thing, in this story, this is the Jesus that I want. This is the Jesus that knows the spectrum of emotion. He's here, I actually have these written down. He's a king who sees injustice and anger burns within him. He's a savior who sees hurt and brokenness and compassion wells up within him. And lastly, he is the God who knows emotion. And this is the one that I love. He knows my feelings. He knows my thoughts. He knows the things that rattle in my head and my heart. And for you guys that are listening at home, he knows these things because he walked this earth and he experienced it as well. This is a Jesus that I want. So we're going to wrap up this story by continuing through Matthew. And we're going to wrap it up with something really weird. Because Jesus is about to yell at a tree and then predict the downfall of an entire religious system. It's kind of crazy. So Jesus pulls off this insane stunt in the, in the most symbolic, holy place in all of the city for all of the Israelite religion. And then he pieces out. It's basically like a big old mic drop. Because Matthew says, he says that Jesus just leaves the city. Now we're going to jump back in in Matthew the next day in verse 18 where it says this. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, and it's going to get weird, he was hungry, relatable. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And check out what he does. It's great. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. So we're experiencing one of two Jesuses. One is either just like a hangry Jesus who needs a Snickers bar. 
Or two, there's something deeper going on here. And maybe he's just hangry. I mean, I, I could give that to him. But I think there is something deeper going on here. Because this tree had leaves on it. This tree appeared to have life, right? It had all of these leaves, but there was no figs. There were no fruit to be found. The tree had the appearance of life, but was not fruitful. This tree is just like the religious leaders that Jesus was in tension with. Because these religious leaders were meant to be set apart They were designed to have a purpose. They had lost their purpose and their identity. Because here's the thing. For all of us, we feel this. We all should be angry when there's power to do good, but it's used for evil. Now, this is like an obvious statement. We all feel this. We should be angry when there's power to do good, but is used for evil. And I want to take this statement and I want to pull it into each one of our lives because I think this is super critical for all of us. Is we all have purpose. So if if, this is for everybody that follows Jesus. You have a purpose when you choose to commit your life to Jesus and say, I want to follow you and, and give everything to you. We have purpose. And our purpose is to be light in the world, to be good in the world. And we all have the potential to do good or to evil, to do evil. And we don't think about this idea of doing evil. Like none of us would say, I do evil things. But this, and this might hit home because this hits home for me, is this next statement. Can you throw that up? Apathy is a neglect of purpose. Apathy is choosing not to do good. And sometimes that's what hits me. In 21st century America, doing nothing, and this might hit hard, is sometimes just as bad as doing evil. Because if we have the potential to do good, we should do that. And this tree, going back to the tree, represents that. Do we, just like the religious leaders, appear to have life, yet bear no fruit in our lives? Because here's the thing, when he curses this fig tree and it withers right away, I don't think it's just hangry Jesus. He's making a statement that these religious leaders and the religious system is about to meet its end. Because what happens, just a little bit more in Matthew, if we read on, is basically Jesus makes this like grandma cross-stitch statement that we've all heard. That if you have enough faith, you can tell this mountain to throw itself into the sea and it will. Right, and it's a weird statement when you hear that because like we all believe, all right, so if I have enough faith, I can tell a mountain to move. But Jesus is actually making a political statement. So can you throw up that um, that picture um, of Jerusalem? Because when he says this, tell this mountain to move and it will be thrown into the sea, this is the mountain they're looking at. Because they're on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem and seeing the temple mount. Because what Jesus is about to do is overthrow the religious system and establish a new kingdom. And this kind of statement, which he would make more explicit in this next week, would be what gets Jesus killed. But that's the story for next week. Now what do we make of all of this? We have three pieces here. We have the arrival, we have the riot, and we have the tree. Because these things tell us about who Jesus is and what he's done. It tells us, it shows us more about Jesus. And it gives us some very good news. That there is a servant king with an upside down kingdom that we're invited to be a part of if we desire that. If we want that purpose for each day of our lives. Because this kingdom is one that overthrows oppressive system. Jesus is a king who gets angry. And here's our big idea for the day. I want you guys to write this down. It says this. Jesus wants us to get angry too. And the two is important because we need to be angry like Jesus. Because anger is a symptom of passion. Anger is a symptom of passion. And Jesus was very passionate. Because his heart broke over the state of the Jewish religion. His heart broke for these leaders. It even says later, during this week, Jesus weeps for Jerusalem. Because he knew in 40 years, the city would be sacked and the temple would be thrown down. And Jesus wants us to be angry. He wants us to be passionate about justice in our world. 
when we see injustices, when we see apathy in ourselves or others, it should stir and quake our emotions and move us to action to help our neighbors in troubled times, to open our eyes to the poor and the downcast. And right now we've heard some really good news from people. I've heard of a bunch of people that are trying to make uh, masks during this time so that people have them and can feel safe. Um, And some people have asked me, like, does calling all of these people, does it matter? Does calling Grandma Edna really matter? And it does. Because it might not mean the world to you, but it might mean the world to her. Or to them, whoever's on the other side of that phone call. And here's the thing too. This is one thing that's really, really important for me. This application might mean identifying where your anger is coming from. Because you, if you're like me, have been locked in your house with the people that you're with. Whether it's family or roommates or whatever. And it's easy to get stressed out and angry and tired about simple things. But don't let that anger come out sideways at the people you're with. Instead, identify where that stress is coming from because we're all experiencing it. And understand that we can use that stress, that anger to do good and to find good outlets and energy for it. So my questions are these, and I'm going to actually invite our band out because we have one more song for you guys. Has your heart been stirred by hurt and brokenness? Have you been disruptive or stirred or shook recently? Is there something that has made you angry? And what part can you play in bringing the kingdom of God here? So we're about to play a song that's one of my favorite hymns of all time, and I hope you guys love it. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And I love this song because it tells us two things. That, that we need to have the vision to see God in this world and to see him active, to see him in the sunsets, in the flowers, and in the faces of other people. But also, not only are we to see God, but we're to see the things that God wants us to do. And they might seem small to us, but they might mean the world to somebody else. So I hope you guys enjoy the song.
Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. I'm thankful for everybody that tuned in at home. And God, I pray um, hopefully that this, this teaching, that the words that we hear from you about how Jesus lived and acted, God, that they melt away some of the apathy we might be feeling right now as we look at the world and we honestly feel a little bit hopeless. But God, I pray that we can be moved to love the people that are nearest to us, even if they're just under the same roof as us. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's stressful. So please allow us to love the ones closest to us well. And then God, please open our eyes to the way that we should see the world. God, fill us with passion. And that passion to bleed out into emotions of sometimes anger or joy. And just give us the desire to help and to reach out and to see people. Well, maybe not see them, God, but at least to love them. God, I'm thankful um, for just this church that exists to be a light in Grand Rapids, to our friends on the West End, to our friends in the Dominican Republic, and to our friends that attend in this building. God, I'm just so thankful for this morning, and I'm thankful for your son who sets an incredible example of how we can live and act in this world. God, please continue to shake and disrupt our lives so that we can truly live. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.